Let's open our hearts to the word of God. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for your help with this message as we look at some particulars about genuine love. We pray that you will speak to our hearts. And Lord, I pray that this message will hit home where you know it needs to hit home in each of our hearts, Father. We ask for your Holy Spirit to take these words and to impact our hearts with them and take this passage and impact our hearts that we might leave here once again, Lord, as you're transforming us little by little into the image of Jesus. Would you do that again today, Lord, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Continuing the, the uh, theme of let love be genuine, Paul's opening words here, and I believe that the verses that follow unpack for us what authentic love looks like because that's the question that this raises. Let love be genuine. Okay, but what does genuine love look like? What's, what's it look like? So as I, the, the last week as I was working on uh, this message, let love be genuine, uh, all I could, I kept thinking of, and this is going to date me, but I kept thinking of Michael McDonald's song, Real Love. And uh, the silence in the room tells me that I'm the only one old enough to remember that song. <laughs> but, or some of you are hiding. And you know who you are. But he wrote a song, Michael McDonald wrote a song called Real Love. Um, he sang with the Doobie Brothers in the 70s and 80s, and um, Michael McDonald writes about finding love in a very unexpected place. It was 1980, 1980. He and the Doobie Brothers' new album had just been released and had already sold millions of copies. His song, What a Fool Believes, had won four Grammys. And McDonald writes, I should have been on top of the world. But the truth is, I have never been or never felt so unhappy. 
He asks this question, why did everything feel so empty? And then after the Doobie Brothers held a benefit concert at a children's hospital, McDonald walked into into the room of a 14-year-old boy with cystic fibrosis. This boy didn't have long to live. And yet, this boy was so happy and joking and, and so glad to have this band there to play a few songs for him in his room and visit him. And Michael McDonald says this of the boy. He filled the room with love. And at that moment, Michael McDonald knew, I got to change the way I'm living. It actually affected him so deeply. He made changes in his life, including going back to his faith in God. Real love is a powerful thing, and sometimes real love can be a surprising thing. What does real love look like? What does genuine love act like? The answer might surprise us. I'm calling this message, if we're going to love, we got to hate and other surprising things about love. So I want to share a few surprising things. Surprise number one may not be a huge surprise, but here it is. Love is action more than it's an emotion. Love is action more than it's an emotion. Now, that may not surprise many or any of you, but judging from the songs that are written and out there, it would surprise a lot of people in the world. One of the the best top-selling songs of all time is a song called You've Lost That Lovin' Feelin'. Now, again, that's going back a few years, but it's still being sung by people and covered but that's what people feel. You've lost that love and feeling. People say, I just don't love him anymore. I just don't love her anymore. What they're saying is, I've lost that love and feeling. And it's gone, gone, gone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Once the love and feeling is gone, there's no hope. It's gone. It's over. Yeah. Here's the thing. Here's what I want us to look at. When you take verses 9 through 21 of this passage together, they're all things we do or don't do. Let me just cover a few of them. Do brotherly affection. Do, actually outdo, honoring one another. Don't be slothful. Do be generous to the needy, and so on. It's a rapid fire. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Genuine love is more about what we do than it is about what we feel. Emotions are a gift from God. Thank God for emotions, right? Thank God for emotions. We should value them. We should not build our life on our emotions. We should not build our love on our emotions. Emotions shift and change on a daily basis, sometimes several times a day. Our emotions can be swing from here to there. Don't build your life and don't build your love on emotions. Now, love definitely involves our feelings, but it's anchored in what we do. And Paul says here, we can do love. Let love be genuine. You can do this. 
You can do this. But it's important to say that in context, Paul is not saying we can do this on our own. We need to be transformed, verse 3, by the renewal of our mind. We need the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us how we're transformed as we behold Christ. The Holy Spirit's working in us so that we are becoming, by the power of the Spirit, as we behold Jesus Christ, we're becoming more like him. But as we have the Holy Spirit within us, working in us, we can do this. We can do this. And we can actually, by the power of the Holy Spirit, both feel and do love. Um, We see God working both in our feelings and our doings in Philippians chapter 2 which says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That is, take God seriously. Take your salvation seriously. Work out your salvation, but not because our salvation is our work, but verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will. That word speaks of our emotions, our desires to want, both to will, and to work. That word energine, we get the word energy from. It means God gives us the energy. He gives us the desire to do his will. He gives us the power to do his will for his good pleasure. It's God working in us. Amen? Do you know God's working? I want to encourage you. God is working in you. I don't care where you're at in the spectrum. I don't care how your feelings feel about God is working in you both to will, to want to love, and to to have the power to love. But these verses together tell us it's more about the doing than what we feel. Love is action more than it's emotion. Now, I just, for some reason, I felt like there's one little thing this kind of brings out that I want to encourage because it might speak to somebody here. And that is this. Our ability to love is not limited by our personality type. We all have personality types. And, and I've, I know from, from kids that it's not all environment. It's not all, you know, how you teach them. That certainly affects it. But kids pop out with personalities, amen? They really do. They've got personalities from the moment they're born, and those personalities were given to them by God. And, and listen, we, some people are introverts. Their personalities are introverts. They're quieter. Or, or they, they, they don't like being around a lot of people a lot of time. Others are extroverts. And they, they draw energy from people. It's like they suck energy from people. And then I think most people are somewhere in between. Combination, sometimes an introvert. Sometimes you feel like an introvert. Sometimes you don't. You know, and, and, but we're all, we're all, we've got personalities that God has given to us. Some people wear their emotions on their sleeves. You know exactly what they're feeling the minute they're feeling it. And other people are very private about what they feel. It's very hard for them to show their emotions. They don't like to show their emotions all the time. I happen to love watching British shows. And invariably, there's a point in some show where a dad is trying to get through to his adult child, and they're trying to break the ground of tension and some conflict and everything, and they're sitting there, and he's like, should I make you breakfast? <laughs> and I'm like, tell her you love her. Just grab her in your arms and say, you in the world to me. And he's like, all right. 
Have a good day. It's that British stiff upper lip thing, you know? But that's, listen, people have different personalities and people have different capacities to show emotion. Some people gush. But Paul doesn't say, let your love be gushy. He says, let it be genuine. If you genuinely love, but it's, you're not the gushy person, that's okay. That's what I want to say. And maybe that's helpful for somebody. You don't have to change. Your personality is how God crafted you. You don't need to change it. You don't need to try to be like that person who's hugging everybody. You know, you don't have to do that. You don't have to change your personality. Just be who you are and let love be genuine. And it's more about what we do than what we feel. And we do feel, and in fact, I love that saying that it's easier to, to act our way into feeling than it is to feel our way into acting. So as you do, your feelings will follow. But listen, no matter how much you do love, you may never be a huggy, gushy kind of person. And it's okay. Does that set anybody free? It's okay. Just be who you are. God gave you your personality. But all of us are to do love. And God loves who you are, by the way. So that's the surprise number one. Love is more action than it is emotion. Surprise number two is this. Love hates evil. Look at me again at the, the uh, totality of verse nine. Let love be genuine abhor, that word means hate, what is evil, hold fast to what is good. What Paul is saying here is if we're going to love, we got to hate. If we're going to love, we got to hate. That may not be something you think about much. A couple of uh, Thanksgivings ago, we had a big family reunion with Janice's family. And one of the things I love most about this season is pumpkin pie. Anybody with me on that? I love pumpkin pie. Yes, I see those hands. And uh, Janice's sister Celia made two pumpkin pies for this family reunion. And normally I'd be like, that's amazing. But those pumpkin pies did not taste right. Because we found out afterwards, Celia got distracted while she was making them and she forgot to put any sugar in them. And it turns out, sugar's a pretty important ingredient to pumpkin pie. Now this might seem counterintuitive, but hate is an important ingredient to love. You see, love wants what is good, and evil is the opposite of good. It's bad on steroids, Evil describes what's wicked, what's dark, what's morally reprehensible. Hitler was evil. Child abuse is evil. Oppression and exploitation of the helpless is evil. Betrayal is evil. We could go on and on. There's evil all around us. Our, our thoughts and prayers go out, don't they, this, this season for those families who lost four college students in Idaho, uh, brutally killed. That is evil. That is evil. Evil and its lesser cousin, bad, are all around us in this world. It's all around us in this world. 
And if we're honest, it raises this question for many people. Why does God allow evil? Why does God allow evil? I've known people leave the faith because they couldn't understand how a good God could allow evil. And there's no question it's a hard question. It's a difficult question. But the Bible, not giving us easy answers, does give us answers. It tells us that evil is not from God. It's from the devil. There is no evil in God. There is no evil in God. There is only goodness in God. On the other hand, in Satan, there is no goodness. There is only evil. Think about that. Think, think about how, how rotten his soul is, rotted through the core, that there is no depth of evil that would make him say, whoa, that's too far. The more evil, the more horrifying, the more he is delighted. There is no goodness, not even the smallest spark of goodness in Satan. And there is not even the smallest tinge of evil in God. Now, because God is love, he has to hate. Proverbs 6 lists seven things that God hates. He, it says, I'm just going to read these quickly. He hates haughtiness, that is looking down on other people. God hates that. He hates lying. He loves truth. He hates killing the innocent or the defenseless. He hates premeditated evil, that is someone plotting to do evil or to do wrong. He hates what Proverbs says is running to do wrong. That is being attracted to and enjoying evil. He hates a false witness, someone who spreads lies about people. And he hates one who sows discord in a family, someone who deliberately sows division between people. Paul tells us to warn a divisive person once, then warn him twice, then have nothing to do with them. Division is a toxic cancer. These are all things that hurt. These are all things that destroy and do damage. And, and God hates them because they hurt and destroy and do damage. God loves justice, so he hates injustice. God loves kindness, so he hates cruelty. God loves goodness, so he hates evil. Hate is a vital part of love. So I just want to say this to anybody who's tempted to let go of their faith over the question of evil. God's word tells you to do the exact opposite. Hold tighter to the faith. Hold fast, Paul says, to what's good. Hate what's evil. Hold fast to what's good. God is good. Hold fast to him. His promises are good. Hold fast to his promises. His plans for your life are good. Hold fast to him. His kingdom is good. His salvation is good. Hold fast. Hold fast. Hold fast. His heart is good. Hold fast to what is good. Don't you dare walk away from the one who is good because that only leaves you in the sphere of the broken and the evil that Satan loves to inflict. It's more important than ever to hold fast to our good God when we are confronted with evil in the world. But we are to hate evil, abhor. That's 
That's a strong word for hate. Abhor what is evil. Surprise number three is this. The evil we should hate the most is the evil that wants to take root in our own hearts. The front line against evil is the battle in our own hearts. Paul warns us three times in these passages not to fight evil with evil. Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Evil might happen to you. Paul says, don't let evil happen in you. At some point in your life, you're going to be hurt. Somebody's going to do you wrong. Evil might be a strong word, but somebody's going to do you wrong. Somebody's going to hurt you. It's going to happen. It probably already has happened for most of us in some degree. You've been betrayed by a friend. You found out somebody was twisting your words or gossiping about you, misrepresenting you, trying to make you look bad. And it hurts. Maybe somebody's done even worse things. And it hurts. And it makes you mad. And it should because it's wrong. And it's evil. I'm not saying we need to become punching bags or welcome mats. But we do need to be careful about our response when someone does wrong to us. That's what Paul is saying. Be careful about the response. Because when that happens, when someone does evil to you, wrong to you, evil is going to be knocking on your heart and say, hey, you know what? Let me in because I can help you fix this. I can help you get back. I can help you turn this around and make it right by doing evil back to them. And it's hoping to get a foothold in our hearts. And once evil gets a foothold, it's going to push for more and more of our hearts. I was reading the other day, and I came across Psalm 109, verse 18. And it's talking in context about someone who loves to curse. It's talking about someone who loves to hurt people and loves to curse. And here's what verse 18 said, and it just, it just hit me. It said, he clothed himself with cursing as his coat. May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. They think cursing is something they can put on and take off and it's not going to affect them. But eventually cursing seeps and soaks into the bones, into our body. It's not a coat. The words we say are never just a coat that we can take off and put on. They seep and they soak into us. They penetrate to the bone. Bitter words make bitter people eventually. Angry words make angry people eventually. Hurtful words, hateful words make hate-filled, hurting people eventually. When you read about someone who takes 
horrible revenge on people. That didn't happen in a moment. Something got into them and they let it seep and soak into their bones where they want revenge. Evil said, let me at it and I will make it right. And it just compounds the evil and destroys more lives. So Paul says, bless them, bless them. Speak life over them. Doesn't say bless their evil. Bless them as a person. Speak life over them. When someone has hurt you, pray for them, Jesus says. Pray for them. God, would you, would you please change their heart? Would you please help them find you? Would you please right this wrong? Pray for them. Pray for the situation. Forgive them. Don't repay them evil for evil because that just adds evil to more evil and that's the world just compounding evil. But repay them kindness for evil and here's what's possible is they come and they're hungry and they're thirsty and I don't know about you but you know, and I thank God, I haven't been deeply hurt by anybody in my life, not deeply, deeply, but I've had people disappoint me or hurt me or say thing, whatever, and I can find this little twinge of wanting, you know, payback. Can, can anybody relate to that? You, you just kind of like want a little bit of payback, but here's, and so when someone maybe who's hurt you comes and they're hungry or they're in a bad situation and, and you have the power to help them, Paul's saying, help them. Give them food if they're hungry. Give them drink if they're thirsty. Help them. Help them. And it's possible you may stop the evil in their life by heaping coals of fire upon their conscience where they're like, what is going on here? And it may affect their hearts. It may cleanse them. It may turn them to God. You may overcome their evil with good, but whether you do or not, you will be free from evil. Your heart will not be entangled with that evil. You will be free. Amen. Blessing, kindness, forgiveness will seep and soak into your bones so that it's a part of who you are and you feel kindness towards people even when you feel sorry for someone who's so living such a small life that they're trying to cut your knees out from under you. That's what they live for. You feel sorry for them. And I'll tell you this, God will be your vindicator. He will keep you. Now, you may get hurt in the short run, but God will be your vindicator. When Jesus hung on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Let me tell you something, as far as we know, no one within the sound of his voice got changed. But I'll tell you whose heart stayed pure, Jesus. His heart didn't get all bitter and all, you know, evil didn't get a foothold in his heart. His heart was pure. And he wasn't a welcome mat, but he was overcoming evil with good. And that's my last surprise. Love hates evil enough to fight against evil. This whole passage is closed by this statement. Do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I, I, that sounds like fighting words to me. Don't be overcome. Don't lose the battle to evil, but overcome, win the battle against evil. Because love hates evil, love fights against evil. When, and I just, 
So here is my conclusion, and I want you to apply it to your life, wherever you find perhaps this might be going on. We, I could, we could go on so much. We could talk about what evil dictators. What about when we come across truly evil people? Listen, I believe truly evil people, and I don't think most people are truly evil. I think that's talking about a certain brand of person that is in court, they are reprehensible, they are wicked. I believe believers should do everything within righteous means to stop that evil. Because that's what love does. That's what love does. Within righteous means. Within righteous means. So, and we could go on about that. But when we can fight against an evil, we should. If we can stand up for someone who's being bullied, someone who's being wronged, we should stand up for them. When we can speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves, we should speak up for them. We should have the courage to speak up. When we see injustice or we see abuse, we should hate it, we should get angry, and that's not an anger that becomes hateful because anger, God gave us anger as an emotion to stir us up to do the right thing when we see the wrong thing being done. Anger isn't supposed to be what you and I mostly experience. You're making me late and I'm angry about that. It's all just self, you know, I'm not getting my way so I'm angry. But righteous anger is when you see an injustice, when you see someone being abused, when you see something wrong going down, it would not be loving to say, well, you know what, it's not a big deal. That would not be love. Love says, I hate what I see there and I'm angry by it, but I'm not angry where I'm just like out of control and I'm gonna start, but anger is controlled to stir us to do something about that within righteous means. In other words, here's the irony, hating evil isn't hate, it's love. I don't totally get that, but it's not that you become this hateful person against hate, I hate hate. I hate evil. You become a loving person, and when you see evil, you wanna do something about it, amen? Amen. So maybe in your life, maybe, and by the way, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't come to curse the darkness. He came into the darkness. He came into where his enemies were, where evil was, and he came in to overcome that evil with good, amen? The cross is Jesus' victory over sin. It is not where he became a welcome mat and a punching bag. It's where he defeated Satan once and for all on that cross and the resurrection just verified that. The gospel is Jesus coming into the darkness and bringing the light and then lighting up different people, you and me included, so we can shine the light and overcome evil with good. So I want to ask the band to come back up. And here's what I want to ask. If, if you're in a situation right now where God is speaking to your heart about a certain situation, maybe you know a certain wrong that's being done, somebody being bullied, pushed around, something going on. I'm not advocating you just kind of go half-cocked and angry. Please don't do that. I don't want to hear how you got fired, you know, because you yelled at your boss. Um, unless that was the only righteous thing you could do. But ask God, how can I be a good influence in a bad situation? Amen.
Does that make sense? How can I be a good influence? How can I overcome this wrong that's going on with good? How can I speak words? How can I make choices? How can I help someone else in that? Maybe you feel vengeance and bitterness kind of creeping in, seeping and soaking into your heart. Say, Lord, I don't want that. 